look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. Welcome to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. I'm here with my partner, Andrew Masson, today. Faisal, uh, not with us today, not feeling well. Faisal, if you're listening, we hope you're, uh, you're feeling better soon. Um, thanks for joining me, man. Thanks. It's good to be here again. Well, we've got a good show today. Um, I think somebody, uh, well, I was going to say we've stumbled on the fountain of youth. We're, you and I are clearly not bright enough to figure that part out, but... We might have found somebody that stumbled on the fountain of youth, so you want to—you definitely want to hear about this. Yeah, yeah. So, like, guy like you, I mean, mathematically, like, you are super old. Nothing that can be done about that. <laughs> well, I feel that regularly. Right, but biologically, you actually might be able to reverse that aging process. They might have found something about that. Now, that—that's that's interesting. Does that mean I get to lift more at the gym? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you're a superhuman already. <laughs> Uh, second thing, we're going to hear a little bit about, um, or from an international best-selling author, about um, happiness in retirement. And, you know, we, we talk about that, it, it sounds almost cliche to say it, but dealing with lots of clients going through the transition in a retirement, it's not a given. Happiness mm-hmm. isn't a given. And it's going to take some work and thinking to make sure that you're doing the right things and living your life the way that you want in order to achieve that. And there's lots of barriers and obstacles. We see it all the time. Um, so this is, this is going to be a fantastic segment as well. Now, uh, before we get to all of that, let's talk a little bit about uh, this week in the markets. Uh, because they're always interesting. There's always lots of stuff that we're watching and, and talking about. Well, it's never boring. It's never boring, that's for sure. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, so I was doing a lot of reporting this week on um, on market movements, and, and we had some really weird stuff happen, right? We had the, the attack on the uh, Saudi infrastructure, oil infrastructure, and boy, that set the markets into a bit of a tailspin for, uh, really, for about 24 hours. Not sure we're done with the story yet, Andrew. Well, uh, no, and the oil price shot up. Crazy. Was it? It, was it was 20% a, at intraday high. Yeah, yeah, it was it was totally uh, insane. Yeah, one day move. And on a one day move. And, and, you know, there's there's a lot of implications right here in Calgary, yeah. especially when people go into the pumps. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was driving in um, yesterday and I noticed that the price of the pump and I was like, hey, you know, it's not up yet. And, but there was some there was some talk uh, suggesting that, th- that that price could go up substantially. Right. Up to eight cents. So imagine right. we're going from like ninety five or to, to one hundred three, one hundred four. It that's a big move, and yeah, it if it's be. sustained for a long period of time, that's going to affect a lot of people. Yeah, no markets. Uh, I mean, the oil price uh, reversed course pretty hard. Uh, you know, uh, it was up on the week for sure, uh, but the Saudis. A couple of things here. Saudis were pretty effective at being able to replenish the supply. No mm-hmm. strategic oil reserves had to be tapped. Interesting, but it did um, it did show a, a big gap in the Saudis' ability to defend the, that infrastructure. So I'm sure there's some holes plugged or will be plugged, some people thinking about how to make sure they, you know, this can't happen because the threat is still out there that there are more targets yes. uh, when Saudi infrastructure. And so what happens aside from, well, let's talk about the, the, at the pumps. If prices go up, in Alberta we might like that, right? Western yeah. Canadian select prices go higher, and I get that. Um, but globally, higher oil prices tend to act as a tax that's on the economy, right? It's a tax on you and me if the prices are higher at the pump. 
That's right. And it trickles over time right. into other goods, whether that be the price of produce or groceries, um, right or through the price of tra- cost. Any, anything it's built because energy is a, is a driver for almost anything that's manufactured, built, or, or transported yep. within any um, developed country. Yeah, key input costs. So, you know, we'll watch that. Uh, it, did, it did seem to soften out a little bit, but that is something we can't, uh, we can't lose track of over the course of the next month or two as the Saudis really repair that infrastructure. Um, the big story again uh, this week, maybe again it comes and goes, but is uh, central bank stimulus. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, you know, I was... I was describing it to a person I was talking to this week as as Red Bull or sugar in the international, um, particularly the international equity markets. But monetary mm-hmm. stimulus, we, when we talk about that, we've got central banks. So this week we had the the U.S. Fed uh, reduce interest rates by a quarter point. Now that was widely expected, mind yeah. you. Yeah, I know for sure. Uh, there's some dissension amongst the voting members, which was interesting. So there's some uncertainty there. That in, in, it's interesting if a central bank can actually be hawkish on the one hand and at the same time reduce interest rates. I think maybe the U.S. Fed actually did that. So the commentary is, is largely the same that the economy seems to be doing pretty well. It's withstanding the shocks. It's a bit of an insurance um, reduction here against the you know the threat of a slowing economy based on. Um, the trade dispute between yep. China and the U.S., uh, but v- staying highly data dependent. However, it was stimulative, right? They did reduce uh, interest rates, which tends to be sugar into the system, right? Sugar yep. for, for, you know, when we put sugar and you get a bit of sugar high, we saw equities move higher on that. Well, and, you know, you call it sugar. I just call it free money. Mm. That's that's what it is. In el- in cheaper money, anyways, it's, for sure. You know, it's it's cheaper money. People are more interested in doing it. And, and what's that driver? What, why are they trying to do this? Is really they're trying to keep fueling that U.S. economy to continue to move stronger and harder um, because it's done so well for so long, um, and they don't want to let that go at this yeah. point in time. So they weren't the only um, central bank to stimulate those. So the, uh, we had before the, the U.S. Fed, we had the European Central Bank the week before. Uh, they reduced their overnight lending rate, and they also made it very clear that they stand ready to add additional stimulus. Yes. So that's a little bit more sugar in the system. And and then uh, on, I guess it was Thursday night, Friday morning, our time, we had China for the second month in a row reduce their uh, lending rate as well. So, you know, there's a little bit more sugar in the system, but it's it's sugar from each of the three biggest economic trading zones. That's right. Right? So most people don't realize that the EU is actually this, the biggest – Economic superpower on the planet, not it, not one individual country, mm-hmm. but as a group. Okay, followed by the United States, which is uh, second, but is the biggest country, and then China after that. So you had all the three big economies really providing stimulus and guiding towards more stimulus in some cases, and we saw equity markets moving, uh, you know, moving on that. And that was the big. That's the mm-hmm. big story, right? Is uh, you're not going to fight the Fed if they want to continue to supply monetary stimulus, then it's it's going to probably push things higher. Now, all central banks are asking for the same thing, and they have for a long time. Help us out on fiscal policy, governments, please. Yep. Right. So we've got a you know we've got so. we've got a mon- we've got a monetary system that's fighting all the uncertainty being created by by governments right around that's the right. world. And and I think you have to. You know what is fiscal policy becomes mm-hmm. really the question, right. right? And so, you know, monetary policy is policy that's enforced by the, by uh, central banks across the world. Where fiscal policy is policies that governments um, 
across developed nations and all nations for that matter um, um, make, whether it be taxation or or, or development-wise, infrastructure um, spending, whatever, right? whatever those those things are, um, in order to boost their economy or, or boost the uh, the production of of their economies. Um, so there's different ways of doing it. Whether it's reducing taxes, pushing in for uh, further infrastructure development, um, or or adding jobs to that um, with many variety of sources. Those are yeah. all important pieces. So we had lots of questions, or at least I've had lots of questions recently, um, you know, with the Canadian election coming up. What what effect is the election, the Canadian election, going to have <laughs> on financial markets? And let me say this to start. Uh, it, it doesn't mean anything in the global scheme of things, okay? So the Canadian election is of, of no import to the global economy, but of course it is important to us here locally, and it may have some implications on, you know, the performance of our own economy, just well, based on what you said. And that and there, there I, I think that while the Canadian uh, economy may not move one way or the other way or, or, or on world market stage, um, there is some, some benefit to, yeah. to new elections or new, uh, new opportunities um, and platforms they take on. So um, you know, how are we going to reduce taxation um, or, or, or reduce brain drain? Uh, meaning um, a lot of people we've seen, especially in Alberta, where they've moved um, either somewhere else in the country or perhaps to a different country in order to stay employed, um, and those jobs are going elsewhere. So we're seeing an influx of cash leave the country. Um, what policies could they bring in effect that could actually bring that cash back or repatriate it back to Canada and make us more of an investing hub mm-hmm, yeah. that we once were? You know, it's it's interesting because uh, we feel it very differently in Alberta than perhaps in other parts of the country. Uh, the Canadian economy certainly pretty weak in the last quarter of last year, first quarter of this year, starting to pick up pace with a pretty good second quarter and some momentum into the third quarter. Valuations on Canadian companies, um, you know, significantly lower than U.S. companies. We're seeing the TSX reach all-time highs. Now, part of that's, of course, being driven by uh, oil and gas. Part of it's being driven by the push higher in precious metals, led by gold, right, and the mining companies getting a boost. Yeah, uh, but, but, but I'd have to say, I have to remember, if we, if we, we step back to yeah. 2008, the TSX is at all-time highs, but not that much yeah. from, from where um, the all-times high were yeah. 11 years ago. Yeah, but it's interesting because, we uh, again, in conversation with people, people are terrified, particularly in Alberta, about how weak the Canadian economy is. Um, mm-hmm. I'll let you decide your own political bent and, you know, where we stand. But the economic data uh, is okay. Yep. And you know what? Uh, we get pulled along by the United States, for better or for worse. You know, we're, we're very closely linked to them. So with a strong U.S. economy and decent valuations in Canada and then some, you know, commodity exposure with commodities, as I said, precious metals and oil and gas moving forward, uh, certainly oil. Um, you know, we're starting to see uh, a response on the TSX. Yes. So uh, we stand ready to make adjustments to portfolios, uh, you know, depending on who gets elected and, more importantly, what policies they want to bring in, right? We're starting mm-hmm. to see the platforms uh, presented now uh, and, you know, what costs those are going to have to the economy and what actually gets implemented. That does have an impact for our local economy. But you got to remember from an investment perspective um, there's no limitations now as to where we can invest. It's not like some people still yeah. are under the impression that an RSP has to be primarily focused in in Canada. Well, and there was a there's a law for the mm-hmm. longest time where it was 15 percent, right. then it was 25 percent, then it was 30, and guess what? Now there's there's no yeah. limit uh, on foreign exposure. Right. And so a Canadian with the push of a button, a Canadian investor can move their money internationally. Right. Wherever the best place to invest is, you can go there regardless of the mm-hmm. type of account structure that you have. So lots of interesting things uh, shaping up. We'll see how the uh, the U.S. 
and China continue to evolve their relationship. We're at low-level meetings right now. We'll see how we progress to the high-level meetings in October. But we've got to wrap it up there. Let's remind everybody uh, about our upcoming seminar, which we're going to discuss all this, and then how do we strategize and put a plan in place to get you through these kinds of, uh, of markets as you retire. And that seminar is coming up next week, Tuesday, September 24th at 7 p.m. at the Four Points by Sheraton, Calgary West. So across from COP, um, if you'd like to reserve a spot, then give us a call at 966-8400. That's 966-8400 or at morethanmoneyradio.com. Don't go away because after the break, we're going to talk about the fountain of youth here on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Andrew on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Andrew, I think... We have found the fountain of youth. Not you really? and me. We're not smart yeah. enough to figure that out. And where is it located? We might, we might have stumbled across <laughs> it. We've got uh, Dr. Greg Fay. He's a chief scientific officer and co-founder of a company called Inter, um, Intervene Immune. Uh, Dr. Fay, first of all, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Happy to all be right. here. Well, thank you for joining us because uh, you know maybe that's a bit dramatic in terms of the introduction here, but... Uh, I was reading some research, or, or I guess some results of some research that you were doing, and you you may have stumbled across some uh, some interesting material here. So, Fountain of Youth, everybody's thinking about reversing aging, and I'm not like Andrew here is is desperately old and chronologically can't do anything about that. Thanks, <laughs> Dave. <laughs> <laughs> However, biologically, uh, you may have stumbled across something that uh, that could help us maybe reverse that process a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about the trial you were running and sort of what you stumbled upon here? Sure. Um, the reason that we did the trial in the first place was to dr- uh, address a very specific aspect of aging, which is immunological aging. Uh, if you look at the statistics, you'll find that everybody that gets uh, the flu uh, or dies of pneumonia tends to be over 65. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we thought we could maybe stop that by regrowing your immune system. Your, your immune system depends on a gland that's in your chest cavity called the thymus. Most people don't even know about it exactly, but uh, without it, we'd all be dead. And unfortunately, we start to lose the thymus about the time we go through sexual maturity, in other words, puberty. And uh, by the time you get to 40, you don't have a great deal of thymus left. But the thymus makes T-cells, which guard your body against infectious disease and cancer. And so we kind of thought it was going to be important to maintain your thymus and maintain your T-cell production. And it turns out that there's uh, some clues in the scientific literature about how to do that. So we went about uh, regrowing the thymus, and we had some success with that. Very statistically significant results, and we saw signs of reversal of the immunosenescent trends that normally would be there. But along the way, we also found this other rather extraordinary effect, which is does, in fact, indicate that uh, at least it looks like uh, it's possible for human aging to run in reverse uh, if you do the right thing. So uh, this opens up some very interesting possibilities. Well, let's talk about those possibilities. You've got, you've got our attention now. I yeah. mean, when I was reading this, I thought, well, this is... Um this is, uh, this is really interesting. Maybe you can explain to us sort of what you mean, first of all, biological versus chronological aging or immunog- immunological. Yeah, absolutely. So there is a difference. So uh, a lot of people uh, are the same age, uh, but those people all of the same chronological age tend to be pretty different in terms of their biological age. And so if you really want to look at... Um, 
what might change aging in humans, we have to be able to measure it. We can't just rely on your chronological age. We have to be able to know your biological age, how, how old you really are on a cellular level. And it turns out that a technique for doing that was developed a few years ago, and we have the great uh, privilege of being able to apply that to the people in our trial. And we found that, at least biologically speaking, uh, that people were younger at the end of the trial than they were at the beginning. And there was it was significant. Um, we're talking a couple of years or more in in many cases. Now this was a this was a small trial to begin with. What um, tell me what has to happen now? So if if we've stumbled on this and it looks like you could reverse things, biological signs of aging, and you know now you're chronologically sixty five and more you know susceptible to say the flu, but you know uh, biologically maybe you're fifty five years old and less susceptible. What what are the implications of this? I guess is what I'm trying to get to. Well, uh, there are probably a great number of implications, both practical ones for your future health and also scientific ones, mm -hmm. sort of understanding, actually, what we have done. Uh, we're not quite sure how we accomplished what we accomplished. The mechanisms have not been established yet, so we're going to have to do some background science and sort of catch up to the results that we achieved. Mm -hmm. But in terms of our own lives, uh, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to get... Uh, you know, pneumonia uh, after we got to be 65 or so, if we didn't have to die of the flu, uh, if we had new diseases coming along that we don't have vaccines for, wouldn't it be nice if our immune systems could protect us better for longer? And the other side of it, it seems like the immune system and aging are more deeply connected than meets the eye at first. So if we can improve your immune system, we can roll back your aging at the same time, you're just healthier for longer. And one of the big problems we have as a society is that we are accumulating more and more old people, and there's fewer and fewer younger people to pay the bills. And if the people don't get older as fast, or if they can actually take a time out uh, from aging, uh, put aging on hold or even roll it back, then that whole huge uh, demographic problem starts to become a lot smaller. So uh, there's many, many uh, implications of this, I think. My, my first thought when I was reading through the summary of the results um, was around, just around what you were touching on, sort of the, the health care system. We've got an aging demographic that's putting a lot of pressure, and it's only begun, on the health care system. Uh, and there's things, obviously, that each of us can be doing to try to uh, minimize uh, our, the strain we personally put on the, the health care system. But if we can actually get our, our bodies stronger from... Uh, you know, the immune system fighting more and more disease on our own uh, versus having to rely on the medical system. You know, we're going to have to, in my opinion, rely on technology, whether it's our own biological technology or other technology, really to, I think, um, support that big wave that you've referred to that's coming from a healthcare perspective. I, I, I think that's massive. Now, these these trials take a long time. Like you said, you haven't even established what the mechanism is to do that. So tell us a little bit about what has to happen next. Right. So we are looking to set up another trial. It's going to be an extension of our original trial. The original trial was called the TRIM trial, uh, and we're going to call this the TRIM-X trial to, to indicate we're going to try to replicate our previous results and go beyond them. So one of the things that we want to do is to develop a version of our treatment that's more affordable for the average person mm -hmm. and more convenient for the average person 
and also that we can study in more detail. So we're hoping to set that up, fingers crossed, before the end of the year in Southern California. And uh, if we can get that established, then another couple of years from now, we'll have a lot more information and we'll be able to uh, maybe start getting this close to being deployable clinically. One good thing about our treatment, surprising as this may seem, is that uh, all of the elements of the treatment are very uh, familiar to the FDA and not very scary to the FDA. So Mm -hmm. we did our trial under a new drug investigational application with the FDA, but they approved the trial very easily. So I think that this may be quick to get to uh, actual practical applications compared to other uh, uh, pharmaceutical interventions into aging. I think I can speak for everybody and all our listeners and say I wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks so much. I've been joined by Dr. Greg Fay. Uh, he's a chief uh, scientific officer, co-founder of Intervene Immune. That sounds like uh, that would add to the quality of care, quality of life that we could have in retirement, and that's going to be part of the topic, the health buckets, part of our conversation at our upcoming seminar. It is, Dave, and uh, we're going to be having that seminar on Tuesday, September 24th, 7 p.m. at uh, Four Point Sheraton by uh, Calgary West. That's uh, next to COP. Um, Give us a call if you'd like to register, 966-8400 or morethanmoneyradio.com. Okay, terrific. We look forward to seeing you there. Stick around after the break because if you're interested in the four S's that lead to successful, happy retirements, stick around for that. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Andrew. You're on 770 CHQR and listening to More Than Money. And we are going to talk about More Than Money today. We've got Neil Pasricha, who is an international best-selling author. A, couple of, a number of books here, uh, The Book of Awesome, The Happiness Equation, but he's got a new book coming out November the 5th called You Are Awesome. Neil, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So, listen, um, we talk about... So Andrew and I are in the business of uh, a financial business. We help people and families go through the transition into and live through retirement. And I got to tell you, we named this this show more than money because this, you know, this period of time that we refer to as retirement um, is more complicated than thinking about an endless um, long weekend. And 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 happiness, although it sometimes sounds cliche to talk about, isn't a given. We see that all the time, Andrew. It's not yeah. a given when you move into this. You know, this phase called retirement. You know, I, I hate to, to joke about it, but, you know, when I, when I meet with people and I financial plan with them, one of the, the things is is um, um, there's a, a, a survey done by one of the lifeguards, and they said um, there's three things. Um, if you're retired, 65, and married, um, m- chances are one of you is going to live to age 95. Right. I think it's about 37%. Yeah. I said, funny thing is they never said happy. Right. Yeah. So right. everybody gets a joke about it, but really that's a key factor in how you live your life and move forward. Okay. So, Neil, I'm going to put you on the spot right off the bat. I'd, I'd like you to help us uh, define how should people think about happiness? What, what's the key here? Well, honestly, I think it's about the four S's. And so you need the first S is social. A big mm-hmm. part of it is having people in your life that you are friends with, that you guys seem to get along great. So everybody needs people like that in their lives. The second one is structure. You got to have a reason to get out of bed in the morning. You have to have somewhere to go, something to do, somewhere to be, someone that's looking forward to seeing you. The third S is stimulation. This one is about constant growth and always learning, right? You always, at the end of the day, you you know how people say you learn something new every day? You have to make sure you learn something new every day. You have to always have your mind stimulated. And the last S is story. I, I, 
This is about a larger purpose. So story means you're part of a group doing something that you could not do by yourself. Right. Okay. You have to have a deep inner sense that like, hey, the work I'm doing is contributing to a larger or greater good. Those four S's are social, structure, stimulation, and story. And I believe they will make you happy if you get those every day. Well, we'll come back to each one of those in, in, in just a moment. You know, it, it reminds me of a story. Um, so being retirement guys, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're often asking people, Andrew, what are you transitioning to? So we know what you're retiring from, but what are you retiring to? And often we get some blank stares on that. Uh, we do. And in fact, I've actually, this week, I, I, I said to a couple of people that I want you to go home and I want you to practice retirement, <laughs> which is an odd comment, right? But you <laughs> know, it. it's totally what, what, what we're looking at right now. And, and, you know, it's an important factor in how we move things forward and make that, that stimulus for them. Right. So I'm going to jump to structure um, for a minute, not, not to minimize social if they're in some order of importance uh, for you, Neil, but... Structure seems to be something, I, I threw out this idea of the, of the endless three-day weekend, right? So if people, or when we see people, couples, whatever it was, uh, single people, approaching retirement and thinking that they're simply going to be in, in, you know, experiencing that endless long weekend over and over, I don't think they have the structure that's necessary to get them through a sustained, you know, long, beautiful retirement. I, you, they're setting themselves up for problems. Maybe you can give us a couple of thoughts and ideas around what structure means and what people should be thinking about with respect to structure as they move into retirement. Sure. And I don't know if it's been clear or not, but I'm against retirement. So I okay. personally, the research I've done shows that retirement is very dangerous for most people. Most people lose those four S's. They don't have social connection. Right. They lose structure. They aren't learning. So they're losing the stimulation and then they aren't part of a larger whole. My high school guidance counselor was forced to retire at age 65 because Ontario, where I'm from, had that in place. Two weeks later, he had a heart attack and he died. And I wrote about that in the happiness equation. And after I wrote about that, everyone said, hey, that's like my uncle. That's like my cousin. That's like my, that's like my, you know, people all have stories about somebody being kind of robbed of this purpose. You call it structure. You you know, I call it structure. You call it structure. You take a week. It has 168 hours in it. You divide that by three. It's three buckets of 56. I say to everybody. Here's how I think about structure. You want to sleep eight hours a night? That's the goal. That's what the doctor says. Great. Eight times seven is 56. That's a whole bucket. One whole bucket a week. You are sleeping. Right. Then I say, fill it with some meaningful work. Fill one bucket with meaningful work. Call it a 40-hour job, plus add in your commuting time and your working from home time. Even if you aren't getting salary, and that isn't an S I mentioned on purpose, then make it volunteering at a hospital or, or doing something down at the library, whatever it is. You have to have that structure, and those two buckets together, for most of us, pay for, justify, and create that third bucket. So I'm 40 as I speak to you today. I don't ever plan to retire, but I will tell you, in my structure of my week, every single week I have 56 hours to do whatever I want because I sleep and I work. And those things, for me right now, give me a lot of time with my kids. You know, we, we take breaks. I unplug on the weekend. I mean, literally unplug from my phone. So I have, not retirement, but I have a bucket a week built in to give me that, that mental escape and break that I think we do all need. Well, you're not going to get any argument from us about the fact that retirement is dangerous. You're right. Um, mm-hmm. Because people think of it, unfortunately, that the traditional de- definition of retirement is you're leaving work and you know, you're going off to whatever it is, watch TV or something like that. But that is a, that, that, that we see that is a horrible experience. That, that Nobody enjoys that experience, right? You've got to be engaged in whatever that next step is. So I, I, I agree with you, Neil. I think you're, you're smack bag on um, the whole thing. So, so let's, let's talk about somebody who's maybe coming to the end of this, the work career, 
Um, but they don't want to retire, right? They still want to be engaged. They need the social structure, stimulus, and story. What do you do? How, how do you start thinking about this? Yeah, there's a lot of ways to, to, to think about this. Uh, first of all, I just want to say real quick is that retirement was invented only in the late 1800s over in Germany yeah. when Chancellor Otto von Bismarck decided to introduce retirement because he had 20% youth unemployment and everybody died at age 67. That was right. lifespan. Right. So they made up the number 65. We've all just copied it in the Western world, even though we live 30 years longer than that today. So, right. like, yeah. it just literally we've taken an old, antiquated thing. And um, in terms of finding something what you want to do, I say there's three tests you can do on yourself. The first one is called the Saturday morning test. So ask yourself today, if you have a Saturday morning where you have nothing to do, where do your natural preferences lead to? Okay. Are you going to the gym? Well, maybe you want to do some personal training. Are you uh, playing a musical instrument? Well, maybe you want to teach clarinet on the internet. I don't know what it is. My point is that do the Saturday morning test on yourself to find your natural passions, things that come up and bubble up inside you when you aren't conscripted to be somewhere else. That's the first thing I always say. The second thing is yep. the, f- the five people test. So you don't know what you want to do. You don't know what you want to do. Do the test of who are you hanging out with. The five people surrounded, surrounding you, according to the book Connected by Nicholas Fowler, are almost always can be averaged out to you. Like you are the average weight of those five people, probably the average height of those five people, probably the average, like it's not, it sounds crazy to say it, but if, if those five people around you smoke, you're probably a smoker. If they right. don't, you probably aren't, right? right. And, and so looking at them sometimes gives you a little bit more self-awareness because you're like, wait a minute, all my friends play golf or all my friends do crochet or all my friends play bridge. Well, maybe I'd like it too. Like, just look around. And the third and final thing I tell people to do is what I call the bench test, okay, which is uh, <laughs> the reason it's called the bench test is because a, a buddy of mine was lucky enough to get into a number of Ivy League schools, <laughs> and his way to check which one he wanted to go to was to sit on a bench in the middle of campus for an uninterrupted hour, silently observing and connecting with the conversations he was hearing to assess his level of fit with it. So what else can you do the bench test on? Everything. You could do it on a house. Just get an Airbnb in the same neighborhood. You could do it on a car. It's called a test drive. You could do it in a job. Say you want to shadow somebody for, for a little bit of time or you want to, you want to work for free for, for a couple of weeks to get an observational thing going. You want to, you want to sit in on a class. Well, most universities let you, let you sit in on a class for free. You know, almost anything can be can be bench tested. You can kind of sit in and watch and to see if you have a natural affinity for it. In the absence of doing these things, what's the outcome? What, what I believe the outcome, so Fortune magazine says the two most dangerous years of your life are the year you are born and the year you retire. The New York Times now reports the average person needs at least $400,000, that's USD, uh, in order to retire, which most people do not have. I believe retirement is a concept that's completely broken. It's based on assumptions that are no longer true. One, that we die at age 67, which we don't. Two, that we can afford to leave work, which most of us can't. And three, that we want to, quote-unquote, do nothing. When actually I say, you don't want to do nothing. You need an ikigai. And ikigai is a word from Japan. It means a sense of purpose, a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Everybody needs a place to be, something to do. And eventually those four S's, in order to have a fulfilling and meaningful life. If you don't do that, I, I actually honestly think it's a recipe for early death. I think you need that purpose in order to keep going. Okay, Neil, where can we get, uh, if somebody's interested in your, your book, You Are Awesome, coming out November 5th, where do they get it? Any bookstore that they ever go to, the local independent bookstore, Chapters Indigo, Amazon, Costco, Walmart, wherever you shop and buy books. 
Neil Pasricha. He's an international best-selling author of the book Awesome, The Happiness Equation, and also the new book coming out, You Are Awesome. You can get them at any of those locations. Neil, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay, my friend, we've got our upcoming seminar. We're going to try to make all that come true, right? I think Neil was smack bang on. How do you pull all this together, plus Absolutely. add the wealth yep. overlay to it, and, and, and create the best retirement that you can? Absolutely, and uh, we, we invite people to come out and join us. Tuesday, September 24th, 7 p.m. at the Sheraton Four Points, uh, Calgary West. That's across from COP. Um, reserve your seat. Give us a call at 966-8400 or online at morethemoneyradio.com. Stick around after the break. If you've got questions like, when do I need to take my CPP, early or late, or can I commute a pension? Stick around for that. We're going to talk to Andrew Masson about the financial planning way to come up with those answers. On You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Andrew on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Uh, Andrew, good show today. Um, We've got to wrap this up a little bit. try to make sense of all this so we, we often talk about strategy we you know Faisal and I often do the show um, we, yep. we uh, every once in a while uh, are graced by your presence which I think is really powerful because you're the guy on our team who runs the, the financial planning division it's kind of the nexus of where all the strategy flows through mm-hmm. and um, a lot of the strategizing and conversations we have really um, in relation to what clients are trying to achieve from an objective uh, uh, goals and objectives perspective flow through you and the planning work that we do. And all kinds of questions that people have for us from, when should I take my CPP and OAS? Do I take it early? Do I delay it late? Mm -hmm. Right? You've had some instances, you know, we dealt with that. Um, This week was interesting. We often get asked, and you were dealing with a case about a commuted pension, right? So you've got a person retiring and has the opportunity to take their pension, uh, commute it, so move it out of a defined benefit pension plan, which pays you just a monthly, you know, guaranteed monthly salary. And and take a lump sum of capital. I want to st- I want to ask you a little bit about this because there's lots of yeah. listeners that are in this position, and you know in the press we hear about it's a good time with interest rates being so low and and earnings expectations being so low that translates into some very very potential large numbers if you are to take that defined benefit pension plan and as we say commute it out of the pension plan and into uh, you know into yeah. your own hands. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, and, and there is. And, of course, the other thing you, you, you didn't mention there, Dave, was the fact that um, they, the pension actuary tables were changed a couple of yep. years ago, which drove those numbers uh, for people that wanted to commute pensions to higher dollar figures, which right. made it more attractive. Right. Um, but one of the key factors that we tend to see is when you do a pension commute or when you transfer a pension into your own name and try to manage it yourself, is that there's two components to it. There's there's a locked-in component, or, or you know, which is designed, this is what was expected to be in that that piece. And then there's a, a component outside of that that's beyond that. And there's a taxation compound, a, a, a taxation effect with that second half. So right. let's say you had a million dollars for argument's sake. Yep. And a commuted value. A commuted value. Okay. Half of that value has to go into a locked-in plan. The other half, you're, you're forced to take into income. And now think about it. If you take $500,000 in the income right now, you will be taxed at the top marginal tax rate in Alberta. Almost fifty percent. Right, that's that's a huge number. So that five hundred thousand is now let's call it two seventy five for simple math. Right. But it's it's come down 
significantly. So you have less money in which to live on now. Right. Um, and we haven't even touched the surface on the, the end result is what's the goal right, right. versus anything else? Because, yeah, I want to have the money and I want to be able to pass on that wealth um, to the next generation. Well, there may be other options in which to do that. One would be commuting a pension. Another one is perhaps maybe you want to look at um, some type of insurance strategy that would be able to create a, an estate. Perhaps <laughs> another option is saying, you know, maybe I want to take it under these circumstances right. versus anything else. But there are more than one option. And, and the other piece to it is a locked-in plan by itself is really an inflexible plan. So there's some potential issues so in drawing those right. dollars down. So pause for just a minute because there's lots of confusion about mm -hmm. this stuff. And you do a great job often with clients of just drawing it on the whiteboard yeah. so that they, they, they understand this because there's a few moving parts. But the number one, if you're thinking about commuting a pension, all that means is you're taking the amount of money out of the pension plan that the pension deems, the, the pension actuaries deem, is mm -hmm. needed to support what your monthly payment was going to be. And that's the commuted value. Yes. Because rates of return and, and return expectations are so low, what you're saying is that a, is that companies have had to overfund or overcontribute uh, in this environment to what they would have had maybe 10 or 15 years ago when interest that's rates right. were higher. Because of that, there becomes a taxable component to it. And so before anybody commutes a pension, they should be doing some analysis around what is the implication of that tax. That's correct. And then ultimately, the money that rolls out of the pension plan has to flow into a very special kind of registered account called a locked-in account. Mm -hmm. And there's some restrictions on that. And then you had another interesting conversation about potential problem that that might create on a drought, uh, on an income drawdown strategy. That's right. And because the, the one account um, is, is a lira, or, or when it starts funding out, we call it a lift, means a life income fund. Right. Um, people sort of get caught and confused. They think it's locked in. No, life income, because your employer expected you were going to get it over your lifetime. What's the difference between a locked income fund, a lift? Yeah. And a retirement income fund, a RIF. Yeah. Um, a RIF is a completely flexible plan, meaning if you wanted to draw all the money out of a RIF in one year, you can. Right. You'll pay the highest, you'll pay the tax on it, taking it out, right. but you can get it all out. A locked in, or excuse me, a life income fund or a LIF gives you a minimum amount based on your or your spouse's age and a maximum amount based on your age and that is all you're allowed to take out. So now you have a whole new consequence taking place where I can draw down on assets but I have to be careful because at one point I may not have any of those flexible assets anymore and I right. only have that inflexible asset that will only give me that minimum and maximum. Okay, well, I mean, if we haven't convinced you that there is a need for some planning, if you've got <laughs> these kinds of things just on that, we're just scratching the surface here um, on on these plans. But we are having lots of conversations about uh, commuted values. And if you do, uh, if you're interested in a commuted value, you definitely need to seek some professional input on this, both planning and analysis on, on the commuted value and the risks attached to that. Well, and there are risks attached yeah. to it. And really what you have to consider first and foremost is what am I trying to achieve? Right. And Why commuting in the first place, yes. right? And, and there's a whole bunch of reasons for it. Don't get me wrong. There's a whole bunch of reasons perhaps not. And it's individual. It's dependent on a whole bunch of different factors. How much is in the plan? Um, what my goal is, what I'm trying to achieve, what I'm trying to get out of it. So there's it's not just uh, one size fits all, folks. It's 
everybody's individual on this and everybody's thought is individual. Well, I like that idea about it's not a one-size-fits-all. There's, there's all these rules of thumb that we have in our industry. I guess every industry has it. Um, and, you know, people are often making decisions based on those. But even that, that whole OAS, uh, CPP, when do I take it, early versus late conversation is very specific to a family's goals it is. and their financial situation. And, and, and that hasn't changed. I've seen some interesting articles recently. Some of the stuff we've been doing here at, at, at Popwitch Carmali is, has included looking at old age security and perhaps delaying it, sometimes just a year, because, hey, I'm going to get a clawback if I take it this year. But if I delay it a year, I'm going to get an increase in the amount I get right. in OAS, and I'm not going to get clawed back. Right. So it's a win for that individual client at that moment in time. Yep. And it's just the little pieces, little nuances that you know try to earn you as much as we most possibly can when you retire so you can enjoy the lifestyle you want. Yeah, I think that's well said. We're going to have to wrap up another, I think, uh, hopefully you guys agree, a good show. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to talk about the complexity, all this stuff, try to make sense of it, pull it together in a total wealth strategy, and make sure that people retire, but their lifestyles don't. We're doing that at our upcoming seminar. Why don't we remind everybody about that? Absolutely. Um, we're having that this Tuesday coming up, September 24th, at 7 p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton, Calgary West. That's across from COP. You can give us a call at 966-8400 to reserve your seat, or come to us online at morethemoneyradio.com. All right. Thanks for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. Have a great weekend. David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.